0: to the Wisdom Toolbox podcast, previously known as the Heart Space Podcast. My name is Nicola and I'm thrilled to have you here. I recently decided to rebrand and refresh the podcast to align it more to the offerings on our website, thewisdomtoolbox.com. So do check that out if you enjoy the topics in this podcast and subscribe to the podcast and our email list for more offerings and tools as they are released. But for now, enjoy. Hi and welcome to this episode of the Heart Space Podcast. My name is Nicola, and in this episode, we'll be doing something a little different from the normal episodes, in that I'll be playing a live recording from an in-person talk I gave at the Cape Town Sami Buddha Center earlier in the week. The topic of the talk is working with energy and the elements and we touch on tools such as meditation, visualization, and using archetypes. Although the talk was given within a Buddhist context, the theme is generally applicable if you're interested in learning more about energy and the elements. This is a slightly longer talk, so get yourself comfy, grab a cup of tea or coffee, and I do apologize if the questions from the audience are relatively soft-spoken, but they should be audible. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so today we're going to go over what we did last time, for those who weren't here last time, is we spoke about the context of energy in general, um, as we experience it in relation to the elements and, and the Buddhist concept of energy and, and emptiness. And um, it was quite a quick talk, and we we'd spoke at quite a high level, but it was also fairly... Um, in depth with some of the Buddhist terminology. So today I want to redo that framework because when we look talking about the elements and and, um, how to work with the elements in our life, we actually really need to understand like the framework because the elements are all aspects of energy. If we can understand how energy works in general and how energy um, is everything, we understand the rules of energy. It makes it working with the actual elements in our life not conceptual, it makes it energetic, and therefore we can see actual shifts happening with the elements as opposed to just ideas or, co- or concepts, um, that often as humans, it's our tendency to go into concepts and ideas and thinking. So we'll go all over all of that today, and feel free to interact with questions if anything I say doesn't make sense. So when I was thinking about where to start today, last time we started with what I, what's called like the Buddhist creation story, as close to a creation story in Buddhism as we can get, um, which comes from the Zogchen teachings. Zogchen is um, the the very, very like deep, deep teachings around the nature of reality and around emptiness. So basically, transforming our view of of separation into that of pure connection with everything, and. Um, in, we will maybe touch on that a little today, but before we even go into the teachings, I want to start even one step back. So yesterday morning, I was walking with a friend in Newlands Forest, and she said to me she was interested in starting to meditate. She hadn't ever done anything like that before. And I said to her, oh, well, why do you want to meditate? What is it that's calling you? And she said, well, stress. And she said, well, what else could there be? Why else would I meditate? And I said, OK, that's that's a worthy, you know, that's that is a worthy cause for us to want to meditate. There could be stress, there could be perhaps even health benefits. You know, we've, we st- we've when we study um, mindfulness and meditation, um, we can see that there are certain external outer benefits to us. But there is a deeper aspect to meditation as well. And we see that more with perhaps balancing our, our emotions and inner elements, who we are, but there's even another level deeper than that, and that's a very subtle level, and in Buddhism, it's called the secret level. Now, secret doesn't mean it's because it's special or advanced, and only a few people can get there. Special just means that it's not something tangible that we can easily relate to in this human form. It's something that's outside of our normal frame of reference, so it's not something physical. It's not even energy that we can see or feel but it's it's like very subtle form of energy and when we are getting into meditation we might start with those outer aspects first so the physical benefits of meditation even the emotional benefits but as we get deeper and deeper into our practice and not just meditation but any form of practice that we do so for instance um, you know even these Vajrayana practices the mantra practices it could be even something that's not even within Buddhism, any practice we do to really get within ourselves, um, we, and we can start to really drop into this question of, well, what is sitting underneath all of this? And this is this very subtle level. And ultimately what we're aiming to do is to create some distance where we can observe. We start to observe ourselves and observe our surroundings. And from that, we can start to see that we've got certain templates or operating systems that we've got installed within us that are effectively running our life. And these things, these templates, I almost like to think of it as, remember, you know, in the old days, the, the school teachers used to have those projectors and they'd take a piece of Perspex and write on it and project it up onto the onto the screen. It's, it's like we've got these very deep-seated um, templates that that we've got installed within us. Perhaps we've been born with that from past lives, or um, if if you if you don't um, resonate with past lives, but you know your your circumstances in this life that you've been born into, um, or otherwise it's templates or operating systems or habits that you've created within this life because of things that have happened in your life, and that might even be in response to trauma. Um, or or anything that's happened to you in your life. I think there is a danger sometimes when we start learning about karma and because these patterns and templates are effectively our karma, to believe that we've got these things because of something we've done wrong. So it's not that we've been a bad person or we've we've behaved in a wrong way and therefore now we've got this template that's creating a lot of loss or suffering in our life. It's just how the energy operates. So we, we mustn't view these templates as something that's um, inherently wrong with ourselves because trauma can happen to us. And even once we start this process of seeing our stuff and being able to observe and see our stuff, which we'll talk about more a little bit how we do that, we things can still happen to any of us at any point. We can get sick. We can lose loved ones. We are all ultimately going to face our own mortality and death and what happens is when you start to see these templates that effectively rule our life at the moment, unconsciously, you start to bring them into the light, you start to make them conscious, you stop attaching, you stop attaching so much identity or, or weight to them. So you can, you can have that behavior or habit pop up in your life, but without the attachment that goes with it, and therein lies your little bit of freedom from some of the suffering that these um, habits or obscurations normally cause in, in our life. So, so to my friend, I said in a very, I hope, simple way, I said, you know, the very deep path of meditation can help us to really get into looking and seeing ourselves truly as who we are. And the first level of seeing who we are is often we start to see our stuff so we start to see all of our sticking points and our contractions. And the more and more we see our stuff, it's 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 like a you know black and white. You can't see, you can't see dark without light. The more we see our stuff, the more we can also start to see that we're a lot bigger than just these knots and contractions. There's a lot more spaciousness around us. And in that space, we realize that hang on, I'm not just this. You know formed identity that I've created um, in this in this embodiment, but I'm complete spacious openness, and we can start to tap into the total awareness of what is called in Buddhism, the word is called emptiness, and emptiness is often causes a lot of confusion with Westerners we don't quite understand. Um, You know, emptiness could almost sound like a nihilistic point of view that there's nothing, nothing is true. But emptiness just means empty of a separate existence or empty of an innate identity because everything is connected. So another word for the word emptiness could be openness. It's just everything is permeable and everything is completely related and interlinked in this big energetic soup. So if we could see things as they truly were right now, it might even seem like we were sitting in the ocean. We, we have this, this energy that is absolutely everywhere. It's through us. It is us. It's in our thoughts and it absolutely permeates everything in our life. So when we start to use things such as meditation to see our stuff, we're actually allowing ourselves to relax into a much bigger expanse of who it is that we truly are. So it's, it's it's a good exercise to truly ask yourself a question. Why do I do practice? Why do I meditate? Why do I come to a practice such as medicine Buddha? Um, what is my motivation for doing that? Because it's easy for us to sometimes fall into a um, mindset of, um, you know, praying to a third party um, in this practice and asking for help and assistance. It's it's. It's not creating separation, but in fact, it's actually enveloping the openness and expanse of everything. But it's good to ask ourselves these questions as we go along our path and truly understand what it is for us that's motivating us to to show up and do our practice. So when we can start to see the templates that run in our lives um, and we start to feel that openness we, it's it's not enough. Unfortunately, it's not enough because if we could, if if simply the act of sitting and seeing, perhaps let's say, um, using the example from earlier, let's say I've got the template running in my life of anger. It's a karmic tendency and it shows up in my life in multiple different ways. Now I've started a meditation program. I start to observe and acknowledge this anger and how it shows up in my life. And perhaps after seeing it for a while, I see that I'm so much more than just my anger or my story. Just that recognition alone isn't necessarily enough to transform it. Um, otherwise, it would be easy for all of us to simply become enlightened <laughs> in in a very conceptual way because we could sit, identify it and off we go. We actually have to work energetically and this is the this is what the benefit of the elements this is why the elements are spoken about in spiritual teachings not just in Buddhism but in all all um, disciplines so much because the elements are the actual tools that we have available to us energetic building blocks of energy that we have available to us to shift and work with work with the energy so um, we we want to use the elements to effectively create balance in our in our life and when we can create balance it allows us to go even deeper into um, understanding our unconsciousness it's like layers of an onion we take off the first layer so perhaps the outer layer of anger you manage to shed there'll be like a deeper programming and a deeper programming and and as we go and we create balance we can get really much deeper within ourselves until we can bring out those very deep Unconscious programs that we've had running perhaps for lifetimes. So, the key thing is to firstly understand energy and how the energy works, and then to also understand um, how all the elements fit into that. So, in the coming weeks, we'll go more into the actual elements themselves. We can talk about each element and how we work with it. But today, we're going to speak about um, like the laws or the rules of energy. And this is, although it is in all the Buddhist teachings, it's also, there's a lot of um, more scientific Western approach to energy too. And actually all of those paths all ultimately end up saying the same thing, is that everything is energy. There's no getting around it. And energy cannot be destroyed. It only transforms. I think Einstein actually said that. And um, when we can understand and recognize that, that experience of the energy helps us relax into that experience of openness, which is ultimately gets us past these identities we've created into um, into a non-dual experience of life. So I've sort of jotted down a few points um, just on what are the, the laws or rules of energy? This is, this is not in any particular order. This is just from the way I prefer to relate it myself. So the first one we've really covered, which is that everything is energy and energy in Buddhism is what we call emptiness. So in Buddhism, when we hear the word emptiness, you can also think of the word energy. And in the Buddhist teachings, especially in those Dzogchen teachings, um, what, what we learn is that energy has its own innate awareness, so the the manifestation of energy, the energy is inherently aware, it's it's self-luminous, it knows itself, and that's a very important point to contemplate and ponder, um, because it has remarkable um, practical um, application in our life. So if we think of, for instance, nature as energy, and energy as aware, well then, nature is aware. It has, and not in a not in a personal way, but nature has its its own awareness of its energy. And much like our body, if we think of our own physical bodies, separate from our awareness or our mind, our body is form. Our body is energy, and our body then too has its own awareness. But how often do we ever listen to the the awareness that our our body has? We don't. We override everything with our mind. Um, now, the reason for this confusion, and now I'm going to touch on that, um, the Dzogchen the, the creation story again that we, we spoke about last time briefly. Um, the best way that it is described in the teachings, in the Zogchen text, there's a very, very old, old text. I'm not going to try and pronounce the Tibetan name. But what it says is, in the beginning... Okay, it actually starts like this, and and Tenzin Wangil Rinpoche, who's he's the teacher um, of the the, the Bon tradition within Tibetan, like it was the original shamanistic school in Tibet prior to Tibetan Buddhism, but the teachings are very aligned and, and is recognised now um, as part of one of the schools of Buddhism, and he says that we should think of the story not as the truth, not as not as Fact, but something that is truer than fact. So it's not a linear, analytical, logical thing. We should think of these stories as something that's much deeper and lands within our heart as opposed to our head. So the story goes that in the beginning, there was the Great Mother. And the Great Mother was this deep expanse of dark blue, okay, this dark, dark blue energy, okay. And within the Mother, it says, the winds blew. And he says in the book, he says, nobody knows why the winds blew. So there's no, we don't get at our level the answer to why did the winds blow in the first place. But the winds of the energy moved. And with this movement, I like to think of it as like a cord, you know, like or a snake. As I used the example the last time, this, this kind of snake of energy started to move. And the faster the energy moves, it created like a current within within this this Great Mother. And this current started moving so fast that it was able to observe itself. So look back on itself and see the Great Mother. But in that moment, there was a misbelief or misconception that it this current, the snake of energy was something separate from the great mother. And so we had in the separation, this subject and object awareness that started to arise and the faster the winds move, the more and more and more separate everything seems to become. And that is why in Buddhism that they speak about the long, which is the air or the wind element that moves within the body, because the faster and the more uncontrolled our inner wind or our inner energy is moving, the more likely we are to be scattered and to and to feel the separateness. So in effect, ultimately what we are really doing on our spiritual path is to calm the moving energy, calm the moving winds, the moving mind. The more calm and balanced we can bring that energy, the more able we are to stop that division that we create and to actually see that everything is one. And it's such a simple but beautiful story. And he says that this creation... Even though it happened long, long, long ago, it isn't something that's bound by time. It happens in every single moment of our life. Every single time we take a new form. So in Tibetan Buddhism, we we talk about bados. Bados are gaps in between two states of energetic um, being. So for instance, we have the bardo between life and death. We have the bardo between wakefulness and sleeping. There's there's various Bardo's in our life. And every time we're in a Bardo, so that's every single day, every moment, in fact. Mm -hmm. But they even say blinking is a Bardo. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, It's a pause between any two points of energy. We have the opportunity to still our mind and to recognize that our true nature isn't separate, like the snake energy that believes it's separate, but in fact, everything is one. Which is, you know, it's, it seems so simple, <laughs> um, but we have to work with that energetically and not just conceptually, because I feel like this is one of the hardest things of being human in this in this day and age, is we've become so mental, we've become so obsessed with thinking and thoughts, and, and the air element has become out of control on our planet. The air element represents this fast-thinking mind. And... Um, we process everything intellectually, but we're not bringing it back physically. We're not integrating it in, in an embodied way, and therefore, it's very, very hard for us to make that make that reconnection. So, this is how we have the the separation, and we co- we also call this duality. You often hear about people speaking about duality. That's it's, it's a, that's the other name for it. Yeah.
1: That's the very reason that we've experienced this morning like we have, because you have created a movement into stillness and something's happened. So that's mm. the same thing. Yeah.
0: Beautiful, yeah. We've created a moment of shared stillness. Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. And you can feel it, it's not yes, just,
1: yeah. And that's the difference, that's what Nikki's talking about, about experiencing It's almost like the sperm to the oven, you know, it's it's, um, the movement towards uh, um, um, unification, becoming that. But we can't talk it. We've got to become the movement and the stillness at the same time.
0: Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting um, metaphor. And I think that it's, it's that we already are that. So it's, it's just remembering that we are already, right now, we are in non duality. Right now, we are not existing in a dualistic, separate, you know, people say three dimensional world where everything's separate and coarse and impure. We are right now at this very moment. You can touch your body. You touch the earth. We are here in non-duality, and we are in, in Buddhist terms, we call this a pure land. Right now, we are sitting in a pure land. Our bodies are our own pure lands that we live in, in this in this expression of our energy. And it's not that there is some something else out there. When we do these practices, such as and Buddha, we are. It's not saying, oh, there's this realm where the medicine buddhas live and it's up there and away from me and I can't access it and one day hopefully I'll have calm, good enough karma you know that's that's like almost a very Christian kind of um, mentality of like if, if I'm without sin and I'm good I'll be chosen to go to heaven it's actually heaven is right here on earth, it's it's every single moment, It's the only issue is that we've forgotten we, we don't see it because of an incorrect belief. And um, that's why we're going to talk about the states of energy now. The states of energy are very important because if energy comes in, so if if we accept everything as energy, okay, energy comes in three different states or forms. So, I mean, not just three, three groupings, okay, that's a simplification. So it comes in a very subtle state. So, for instance, now the energy I said that's, we can't really see it. So we know that there's energy, but we can't actually feel it or attach to it in any way. Um, it comes in a more, in slightly more embodied, but still not physical as you know as this could be, um, and it's it's like maybe a feeling. The feeling that we can all feel is is an, is a more manifest form of energy. And I call that the energetic state. So we have the subtle state, we have the energetic state, and then we have the physical form of energy. So if we use the water element as an example, with the water element, we'd have water can be ice. It could be hot, you know, in a form, ice. It could be liquid or it could be dissolve, um, evaporate into steam or or even beyond that, into vapor that you can't even perceive because right now there's water in the air that we're breathing. We just can't see it. So in every single element, that's why I say if we can understand the rules of energy, we can actually work with any element because every element has its own states that it manifests in and it all has, we can call it coarse, energetic or subtle those are the three states that we, we need to think of everything. And in, in Buddhism, they speak about the three bodies or the three kayas. And we, we, you'll often hear them, though, even in the, the medicine Buddha practice we did, we speak about the, the vajra or the, the Buddha body, speech, and mind. Body, speech, and mind are the three representations um, of the coarse, energetic and subtle. And so the body would be the form. The speech is the energetic, which makes sense. You can hear speech, but you can't really see it. But you know that there's an energy there. But actually, speech isn't just speech. Um, speech is also um, symbolism. Because speech, essentially, communication is us attaching meaning to words. The whole construct of language is around symbolism. And therefore, to have Buddhist speech is also to be able to see symbolically. And that's why the second vehicle, the second body, is also called the dream body or the astral body, because in our dreams, we're looking at our life symbolically. We're able to um, use archetypes. And so the whole that whole middle energetic speech body is is very, very interesting. And, and just one more fact before we move on, is that the, the practices we do, such as the Savajiana medicine Buddha practice, falls within, if we look at practice, Buddhist practices, it would fall within this speech realm. Because what we're doing is we're creating a visualization, symbolism, we're saying words of the speech, symbolic words, in order to create our own pure land, And then we're dissolving it back within ourselves. So some teachers say that Tibetan Buddhism is actually a, um, a, a tradition that is all around sacred visualization. Because the main practice vehicle that is chosen in Tibetan Buddhism, as opposed to perhaps say Zen, for instance, is the symbolic vehicle. We're using symbolism to help us transcend how we see things to how things truly are. So that's like, like that's the, the second layer of energy. And then the third layer is the subtle, which, in, if we look at body, speech, and mind, would be our mind. Now there can also be some confusion where we think of mind, um, well certainly I always do, being you know doctrinated Westerner. The word mind" for me means brain. It, it's you know I, I always think of brain and thinking. But actually, in Buddhism, the mind is our heart. The mind is our heart center, it's, it's the hung in the mantra, it is our awareness. So our awareness doesn't derive from our thinking brain, our awareness actually derives from our heart. So the thinking brain, in effect, is a tool that we use in this physical form to problem solve and so forth. But we've become so confused that we identify our thinking as as who we are without recognizing that in fact we're so much more than just our thinking brain and therefore mind is actually heart so you could even use the word heart if it helps you it helps me to just get over that conditioned thinking whenever I, it's it's like whenever I think of the word God I think of like an old white man in heaven I can't help it so I use a different word and it's the same with this if, if mind you can use the word heart so everything has these three states and because remember energy can never be destroyed it can only change states. So now we look at how energy works and flows in our life, and so we look at the energy of creation and the energy of d- dissolution or destruction or death. So life follows these patterns, and we can see this through mythology, through you know stories over the ages. These stories of birth, death, and rebirth even the story of Jesus, you know, story of birth, death and rebirth. It's, it's, a, it's a common symbolic um, pattern that we can understand because it is the nature of, of energy. So when we create, energy flows from a subtle form to a physical form. And when we dissolve, we dissolve physical form back to subtle form. And we can think of anything. I like to use the example of a cake. We have an idea, inspiration, even the word in hits. I'm going to bake a cake. We then visualize that. We can even speak our choice out within our inner voice or even externally. We then, using our abilities, we manifest and we put everything together. We take all the elements that we need. We take water element, earth element, put it into the oven, fire element, we bake up our cake and out pops our manifested cake. So that's the energy of creation. And everything follows, because energy is a law, energy is a rule, everything follows this. So therefore, what created our entire planet? What was the subtle energy that brought our planet into being? Or not just our planet, but the entire solar system. If energy always follows that rule, that means that absolutely every single thing that's ever been manifested came from a subtle inspiration into something we can attach to. And that goes not just for physical forms, but even for our personalities, our habits, and our traits and this is why we often see um if you're a person that's um perhaps has a lot of fear you'll find situations in your life that will bring up that fear in multiple ways because we create from that very very subtle imprint effectively it's the the teacher's got her little perspex um fear slide out and she's you're projecting it across your entire life this this um this imprint and this takes us to the very next important point of energy energy is capable of holding patterns and it can hold patterns for eons and eons and eons of time all we have to do is look at our solar system not just our solar system but the entire universe you know the stars and planets don't just fly around haphazardly you know think of our particular solar system it's like there's always a pattern it's it's perfect And sometimes something can come along and disturb the energy, and the, the disruption will then set a new pattern into being, but energy holds these patterns. And what's so beautiful is if you look at the representation of an atom, and you know everything is made up of atoms, including the cells in our body, everything we can attach to, when you look at the representation of an atom, you've got I hate... I'm not super... Nucleus. Is it the nucleus in the middle? got the nucleus and you've got protons and electrons that fly around it, and actually it looks like the solar system. It perfectly holds that pattern. And so if energy is capable of holding patterns, it happens on all different levels of energy, subtle, energetic, and gross. Even, so that's why if you have a pattern or a habit of anger, that energy pattern is going to, therefore, be the template that manifests everything in your life according to that pattern. And we can have multiple, we all do, have multiple, multiple patterns or habit momentums in our store consciousness or a lie consciousness. We've got all these imprints that we've created and hold over ends of time. So this is why it's so important to understand energy, because we can sit today and say, I'm done with um, fear. I'm not, today I've made a decision. I'm no longer going to be afraid. And I walk out of here and a couple hours later, I'm back in my same fear state of mind. That's because I haven't gone energetically. I haven't followed the rules of energy to get back to that template and work at that level. I've just made a conceptual decision. And that's why there's this um, misalignment so because energy holds a pattern, because energy flows from subtle to gross, if we want to get back to subtle to change the pattern, what do we have to do? We have to embrace the energy of dissolution or death or destruction. And so if we've got the cake, <laughs> we're going to eat the cake. Our life is going to come to an end. Our physical elements are going to dissolve. Every night when we fall asleep, our energetic body dissolves and recreates in our dream, our dream consciousness. So this, this pattern of birth, death, and rebirth is so critical in our life. But in this world that we've created, we don't like to talk about dissolution. We don't like to talk about death. We hold it away. We don't want to talk about the shadow. We cry and we feel bad for being upset. But actually, that part of the journey is as important as the creation journey. So although we're we addicted to creating, we're addicted to progress and wanting to create new all the time, but we only, we're always going to be creating from the same state of consciousness unless we actually embrace dissolution, destruction, death in our life in order to truly get back to our patterning, see our patterning for what it is, stand back from it, recognize that we are so much more than it, and then create, well, not create a new pattern. What we actually want to do is just remove um, remove layers. Essentially, I read a quote the other day, and I, I don't have the book with me, and I forget the name of, of the master who said it, but he said that our entire life, if we're on a Buddhist path or a path of practice, is a lesson in dying. It's about just removing, removing layers, removing identity and becoming as identitylessness as possible and as open and free as we can be. So it's not that we want to put a new template into being. And this is sometimes where, you know, Chagrim Shumpa speaks about spiritual materialism. And you often see this, especially in like the New Age movement, where people put these new templates into being of being light workers or or um, spiritual people or whatever and then they go off with good intentions and create from that but it's still an inauthentic template because no, all templates take us away from who it is that we are which is completely open and free. So it's good to start identifying in our life where we're holding patterns um, positive and positive and negative. it's not only our negative stuff it's it's sometimes even the positive persona that we're trying so hard to cultivate that um isn't actually even authentic because anything created is is actually inauthentic <laughs> for using basic basic terms so is there is there a question anyone wants to ask is
1: there is there a comment that anyone wants to make yeah uh, it's this a question of dualism. So, actually, in fact, what you're saying is by creating a template, a concept, we are creating a dualism. Exactly. No longer one is what is.
0: Exactly. We're moving
1: away from that, following our mind, following those understandings or templates.
0: Exactly, exactly. And there's a really good Buddhist writer, um, Andrew Holoshek, and he he writes on um, dream and sleep yoga, but he he also talks about illusory form and understanding dualism in our waking life. And I love the way he says it. So he said, if we think of of emptiness as openness, and we think of the initial confusion, that, that when that energy moves the first time within us and creates the confusion that we separate, Think of that like your muscle going into a cramp, okay? But because you've been born with your muscle in a cramp, you don't actually know that the, you don't even know it's in a cramp because your muscle's always been in a cramp. So he calls that the primary delusion. So the first delusion, that's like the core delusion that we're trying to get back to is the delusion of separateness. But now that we've already created separateness within our separate state that we see, ourso- we, we see ourselves, we've got secondary delusions. And the secondary delusions are what I would say are those templates, our, our habits and, and um, our tendencies. So we work like an onion. We first work with those outer layers of our, our tendencies and our habits. So that we start to help that muscle contraction to relax, and once we once we've done that enough, we can then recognize the primary contraction, and that there's, there's no dualism; that everything is one. Okay, so, so I just want to just catch that sure? word.
1: I want to just take that word that you just used, recognize. So I think that that's one of the one of the really useful, skillful means that. Tibetan Buddhism has and Buddhism has is that word recognize. Mm. And I think that's where you pierce through this natural acceptance of evolution and um, destruction. Well, what what's a, na- a nicer word Revolution. destruction? Dissolution, yes, dissolution better word. So evolution and di- or creation and dissolution, okay. That 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 business of working with templates, you've just used the word um, recognition, and that is one of the major, major words of while you are living your life. If you've looked in the pool, in the still pond, right from the word "go, and you've seen this eye, and it's created an outer and an inner, and it's seus, that this word recognition says, there is no difference between the inner and the outer. That word is, is that sacred place. That's almost like you don't have to know. That's the reason we've got mind. That's the reason that we've been supported with the brain to in order to have a good heart and a good mind. That's the word of recognition. Yeah. That? That's my opinion.
0: Yeah, and recognition means... It's a
1: huge word for all of us. Huge. So if whatever you do in your life and, and stop the resistance with what is, with a flow of what is, and in that penetrate with recognition, it's, 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 we can make it complicated or complex. It's a simple process. And do that time and time and time again, whether we call it meditation or practicing our Buddhism and, and that. With the With a good teacher, with the empowerment of a good teacher who has penetrated that uh, it's 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 not difficult.
0: Yeah. We it's we, it's we a practice it, I make
1: it difficult.
0: It's practice. It's difficult. That's why we use the word practice. It's yes. just exactly as yes. Lindy says, it's time and again making multiple opportunities mm-hmm. every day in our life mm-hmm. to see and to firstly see our stuff, see, the, see our contractions, but then to recognise that we are more than that, which is the, what I said right in the beginning, whereas we, we've got our stuff, but we're actually a lot more, a lot more open, open than that. But unfortunately, we first recognise, we see it, but it's, it's not so easy necessarily to get rid of that operating program. Yes.
1: <laughs> I, I want to come in there. It's, as you said, it's not the decision Well, from now, and I'm not going to be fearful or whatever. Yeah.
0: That. So, because that would all be in the mind. So how do you do it? Okay, so we're going to get to That's exactly what we're getting to. <laughs> but that's exactly We're getting to work with the energy, okay? We have to work. We work energetically. And within Buddhism... There's different schools of Buddhism. So we have um, uh, we have like Mahayana Buddhism, which is the very seated still meditation, doing like loving kindness, um, meditating on compassion. Then we have Vajrayana Buddhism. So this, this school falls into Vajrayana Buddhism, which is the Tantric. So it's, as I explained earlier, it's using visualization and mantra. And then we have Mahamudra, um, which means great perfection, which is the Zogchen teachings I mentioned in the beginning, which is kind of like the ultimate state. But this is a very important thing. If you today decide I'm going to start doing Dzogchen um, or Mahamudra teachings, and you picked up a text and you started to read all this stuff, it's it, it's not going you can read it, but it's not going to energetically happen for you. You have to work through a vehicle to get there. And that's exactly why in um, Tibetan Buddhism they have the nondro process, which is doing purification techniques in order to prepare yourself to get to the very deep, non dual teachings. And those purification techniques are not just sitting on a cushion, they are physically, you are doing prostrations. You are saying certain mantras. It's actually all about shifting the energy in the body, balancing the energy in the body, because when the energy in the body is balanced, it helps us to get to that deep mind or heart, makes it a lot easier for us without the confusion. Even the yogic schools, you know, yoga, we know yoga in the West mostly as the, the poses and the breathing. But actually yoga developed in order to prepare the body and the energy to sit in meditation to go within. So it's it's a process of evolution. And that's why this Vajrayana school of Buddhism is such a gift to the world, because it's, it's known as like, it's like a foster vehicle. It, using visualization, using that second energy body of visualization and dream work and so forth, helps us to access that state quicker then if we just maybe did seated meditation, in general, of course, there's exceptions. But in general, it helps us to use the energy effectively quicker to get back to that natural state of being. And there's other ways to also use the energy. So one way is through these practices, but also using the elements, working with nature and so forth, also helps us to Bring that energy. So we're going to get to exactly your question. It's, it's, it's coming. Okay. I just want to quickly finish off these last few rules um, of energy. And then we can speak about that. So the next rule of energy is that it has a yin and a yang aspect to it. We can also call that masculine and feminine. And in the Tao, which is the Chinese spiritual philosophy, they say that when that initial energy, they have a similar Understanding when that energy moves, it kind of splits into two. That two, two aspects. It's that Queen Lindy always speaks about, and mm-hmm. it has the the two aspects. And that energy is like magnetized, and that's very important when we work with the, the elements. This point is hugely important because an element we can have maybe an excess like yang of an element, or we can have too much yin aspect of an element and it's about balancing yin and yang or masculine and feminine is another way of looking at it constantly and that's one of the tools that we can use to create to create that balance and then very interesting when that energy we've got the energy of two and this sounds very like mystical but the energy of two becomes three and we can see in all traditions this concept of the trinity or threefold energy or body, speech, and mind. There is something that connects. There's a third mystical aspect that connects yin and yang or masculine and feminine. We see it in Christianity. We have, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and then we have the Holy Spirit. So it is that energy of the Holy Spirit, or in Buddhism, we'd say that is the the speech or the the dream state um, vehicle that connects the two. So in simple layman's terms, what that means is we have something that's very subtle that we can't access. We have something that is material that we can connect to. And then we have that spirit or that energy that bridges the two and then the energy itself has different aspects and that is what we get to now which is what we call the elements so within so if we go back to that original creation story where we have that snaking energy the faster and faster that energy moves it Breaks it it breaks up because now remember the moving mind is what creates the perception of separation. So the faster the moving mind, the more separate things seem. So the nature of energy on a very subtle or pure state, in an unrealistic way, is that it has these, it has qualities, they're called the enlightened qualities. Okay, so if we look at all We can call them the five elements, the five lights or the five qualities. It's it's the same, ultimately the same thing. And depending on the level that we are perceiving energy, subtle, energetic or form or gross, we see the elements in a different way. So if we're viewing the elements in our world right now, it's easy for us to view the elements in a physical way. Um, and it's also easy for, fairly easy for us to rec- start to recognize the elements in a symbolic, energetic way. So what I mean by that is if we use the element for a um, simple one, earth, we can identify with the earth element in our life. But we can also identify with its energetic qualities. We can say someone who's earthy is perhaps grounded, um, we there's a lot there's a lot that we can connect to there's stability there's there's so much in the words that we use with the elements it's it's quite astounding we we already know all the answers um, symbolically you know we speak about feeling um, stuck in the mud or walking on the clouds we use so many terms being burnt out you know what is the analogy of being burnt out you have had an abundance of the fire element caused also by the wind, because as we know, especially in Cape Town, the wind fuels the fire, and that has left your water and your earth element depleted. So, burnout happens when your earth and water are low, your fire and your air are high. And interestingly, we can, this is a, a obviously all elements have got masculine and feminine qualities, but in general, most of the teachings say that the elements that are called to masculine are fire and air. The elements that are called to feminine are water and earth. So we can see in our planet at the moment, you know, even over the past few hundred years, we've had an abundance of the masculine energy, which is in, in the Chinese, we'd use the word Yang energy. So it's all been about progress, about intellect, about God in the sky, because you know it's that air or fire we can't quite grasp, so you know it's about God in the sky as opposed to God in us and in the earth so um when we look at when we look at the world in this symbolic way, it's actually pretty easy when we start to use the symbolism behind the words of the to figure out where we are, so right now, just take thirty seconds and Try and think where you are um, energetically. Do you consider yourself to be very earthy or grounded or perhaps lacking the earth element or stability? Are you connected to any of the elements in particular? So maybe you've got a huge need or feeling to be with water, to be maybe in a deep cave, just try and think of the natural environment, what calls to you. Um, any, I'm not gonna tell you too much because it's something that's, you'll know the answers within yourself and see if you can connect to where you're at right now. So I don't know if anyone wants to share it's always interesting when we listen through <laughs> other people's experiences. Adam, you've been working with the elements, so you, you...
2: Yeah, so I <clears throat> I came from a dance retreat, I did a week-long retreat of um, moving consciously in silence to music with other people um, for several hours a day and the, the whilst kind of trying to become more aware of this elements and how they manifest in the body and so for me, the fire element is very prominent, both just in my life in general. I always have a lot of heat. I'm always sweating and, you know, I can have a lot of energy. And, um, and so that manifests in, in desire and attachment too, because that, that element correlates. So there's a lot of attachment to, whether it's food or something or the, 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 to the feminine. and um, And the way that I see it manifesting in my life is that the I see it, it sometimes creates the air element in other people. So my my fire, uh, my abundance of fire and energy and, and I suppose desire, I can see manifesting in other people as, as insecurity, volatility, um, um, and jealousy. So yeah. that I see that manifesting and so I see this interplay between myself and the, and the world as mm-hmm. fire and interplay between fire and energy. So uh, right now I'm I'm Sitting with how do I bridge that? How do I transform that that, that attached version of desire to the the kind of um, seductive nature, the rather rather dealing with how to be in kind of quietal connection with everything rather than that, rather than to some one particular object of desire or you know, something that I, I attach to. So I'm sitting a lot with that trying to just be in a state of blissful union with everything as a feminine mm. rather than something else that i one particular thing Spontaneity, that spontaneous
1: yeah. Spontaneous response rather than the holding response. Yeah,
2: yeah the spontaneity relates more to, to the air element. Yes. Like that that's spontaneous manifestation is like mm. you often when you the air element you can De-identify when you start losing hold of that fixation with itself, yes. then, then you can feel very unstable, and, and anxiety is the reaction to that. That you cling to things to kind of try and manifest. Whereas with the fire element, there's this kind of uh, this need to validate the self through the through a sense of creating union, like or, or connection of, of like ownership in, in some ways. So, changing that, that fire energy to something uh, which is, uh, yeah, so it's more, it's more about um, it's sacred, sacred union or sacred or connection. You know, this is the terms that I've been coming across. Uh, like seductive uh, play with the world, rather than with the world as a whole, um, rather than with an individual object of desire. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And you see, using the archetypes or using a um, a story is also very helpful. So one of a tool that we can use um, in that energetic space is actually the tool. I love mythology and storytelling because the archetypes can help us to identify with ourselves in a less personal way, which is what you're saying. You want to transform that relationship from being very, very personal into something that's less personal, more symbolic. And in that way, there's a teacher called Richard Radden. He speaks about, he says, we have a gift. Sorry, we have a shadow. We can transform the shadow into a gift. And ultimately, we can transform the gift into the city. And the city is Mm -hmm. the word for the enlightened Mm -hmm. quality of that. But we have to work in that order. So like what Adam's sharing is we're not taking... um, the fire element and immediately trying to get into the enlightened city or quality of that. We're working through the archetypal energy, the symbolism to really understand it and work with it so that we can bring energetic balance to it. And like what I would, um, I could offer in that situation is to not just look at the fire element because all the elements work in relationship to one another. So we can never really just work with one element. It's constantly a dance And a game that involves all of the elements and in fact the way i see the fire element so we've got earth um, which also if we talk some people know of the chakra system earth would be our our base chakra it's the connection down into the earth we then have the water element um, which is the um, sacral chakra which is all about um our connection. So whereas earth energy is about our connection to our tribe on earth, the water element is about our connection with one another, which is interesting because it's around the energy of procreation. It's around creating um, not just physically, but um, anything that we want to manifest in our life. Um, we then have the element of fire or, um, as you said, which is connected often to our passion, desire, attachment, but fire, element, even the, and then we've got air, okay, which is connected to the heart. Fire, if you think of fire, it's less of an element because if we think of everything in that three, the three states of energy, form, earth, water, energy, and air, subtle. So how does fire fit into that? Fire is actually, even though it's an element, fire is an agent of change because fire's job is it changes those three those three elements. So fire can heat water, it can heat the air. Fire is an agent of change and it's interesting to work with that energy as an, as an agent of change. So why desire, for instance, desire is telling you that there's some desire towards a change of an energetic state. It doesn't have to be attached to a particular storyline. We can work with desire as, um, as more of an archetype. So Thinking of your life in, in archetypal terms and reading up and learning about the archetypes can be very, very helpful when we're working at this at this level of the of the elements. And then, so we, we mentioned the earth element, the water element, the fire element, the air element, which is at our heart, which um, of course is we think of the heart, but we have the lungs, you know, it's the energy of, of breathing, which is. The last element that comes when we are born, physically as a baby, it's kind of the last element that forms because all of our other elements in our body, we're in the womb, we're already created, and it's that last element that we connect to. And similarly, when we die, it is that the breath stops, and when the breath stops, we, we, are, we die. So this connection of the air is very important because air is that which connects us to the subtle and then we have the space element. In the Indian traditions, they speak about the upper chakras as being connected to the ether element or space element. And it's always the heart. The heart is the meeting point, that subtle air is it's something we can still know. We know the air, we 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 breathe it every single day. So it's not foreign to us as something like space. Is it kind of a bit of a foreign concept to us, because it's hard for us to understand space, emptiness truly, um, other than in a very conceptual way. So the heart is always that meeting point. Yes, Dean? Thanks. I
2: just had a quick question there, because I was wondering, sorry, I was actually wondering immediately before you said that, about the relationship between space as an element and emptiness, and then you, you actually brought them together yourself, sir. You say,
0: is that the same thing? So, yes, space is the container. Space is emptiness. So, therefore, space is energy. So, we call space the fifth element, but it is it is the first and the last element because it is the source from which everything arises and it is that in which everything dissolves. So, it is the ground. You know, ground of experience is, is the spaciousness. And the other elements play within the space but we ourselves even if we look archetypally we can also see how much space do you make space in your life for for yourself do you make space do you fill your space up with a lot of stuff you know how much what is your relationship like with space and that actually goes very much into silence as well because space and silence are so connected how much space do you allow it's it's quite a big one and it's quite fundamental because if you filling up your space with so much other stuff it's going to be very hard for you to stand back and see all your operating templates and, and, and stuff. You need to have you need to create that space which is the con- container in order to truly see. Can I ask a quick question? Sure. How does wood because in traditional Chinese medicine they don't have air as one of the elements but they have wood. Is there,
1: do you have anything, I'm
0: sorry, I don't know if you have the time to go. No, no, I can quickly. So I know in Chinese they have they have a different, they also have the metal element. Yes, yeah, for the lines, yeah. Yeah, which is their air element. Yeah, okay. And wood is, um, wood is their space. Wood is the equivalent of the space element. But they speak about it in a different, in a different journey. So it's, it's the earth earth and the water which gives rise to the, um, the wood yeah. and the wood ultimately becomes the metal which goes back to the mineral to the earth. It's, it's a slightly different cycle but actually because I've recently spent quite a lot of time learning about the Tao the and the Chinese elements because it is interesting that it's yeah. different but it's actually not really different. Yeah. It's different terminology but it's, yeah. it's still the same five aspects. Yeah. Okay. Ultimately. Yeah, that's how I feel about everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, Tenzin Wangil Rinpoche, in that creation story, he says when that energy is moving, everything, so everything starts with the five lights, which aren't lights like we would see physical lights. It's five, it's luminosity, they say in the teachings, or awareness. There's five aspects of awareness (coughs) which we correlate to a light or to a different color. Okay, And as this goes faster and faster and faster and therefore separation seems more and more and more, we see the lights in different ways. So they're first lights and then we see the um, energy in in all of its (coughs) forms. And he says, think about it, we have five fingers and five toes, we have Five limbs on our body. We have five, well, four limbs and a head, I suppose. Five things that stick out of our torso. We have (laughs) five sense organs. You know, he goes on and on. I can't remember the entire list, but this energy of five is is very sacred because everything has been created from from that initial sacred template. Also,
1: another interesting thing with five is you have the one, two, three, four. And where's five? Bang, in the center. And your fifth is known in the American Indian tradition as your place of, you've got to cross the center. You've got to go into the center of yourself, your heart space. And that is the catalyst. And that you, that, that, that word wasn't mentioned, but that's what, what, what Nikki was also saying. That's the catalyst point, the place of, of catalyzing that alchemy that she's talking about. Yeah. Five is also a prime
0: number. Say that? Five is also so a prime, prime number. number. Yeah. Yeah. Five is very energetically it's it's contains everything and even if you look I always think of that, if you look at the symbol of the hung, I see a five. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's which is also again it's the space element in the heart. So it is that thing of, and interestingly, in numerology, five, also being in the middle, has issues around freedom. And because five is contained with other numbers, often people that have got, need to work with this energy of, of space. There's an aspect in their life of feeling like they don't have freedom or desire for freedom or wanting more freedom. Or there's some issues around, um, around freedom, which is space. So, yeah, there's just so, so, so much. But today, I just wanted to give you that overview of the rules of energy so that next time we can start looking at the elements, (coughs) um, each of the elements, so that you can understand for yourself how to work with them to balance them in your everyday life. And, you know, I'll share just a very quick personal story. It's something that takes many, many, many years. And it's not a logical path. It's not like we decide today, I'm going to transform the water element in my life. You know, it's not, it's not something that happens like that. And using the example of the water element, what happened in my life is um, I started to become, must be now about four, four years ago, five years ago, extremely sensitive to seeing the environmental destruction and all the suffering going on in the environment. And it actually caused me to have not one day that would go past where I wasn't in tears. I was just crying constantly. And you know, tears again is is actually a gift of the water element. And but this it was in a way that actually caused me so much anguish that I became a bit depressed, <laughs> like this environmental depression, because I just could never see an, an end to it. And I had to really sit with that and learn acceptance. And just allow that to be. But at the same time, what was happening is I was having a lot of dreams about water and always dreams of the ocean, deep waters, which I'm not, ai am ex-Joburg. I'm not like a water baby, you know, going in the ocean too deep is a bit frightening for me. So it wasn't, it wasn't like I love streams and ponds. This was like big, vast, deep, deep blue pools of water And um, seeing lots of whales and um, it was just remarkable how it happened in my dream so many times. It happened enough that I started to pay attention to it. And then I had a dream that we were building a house. This was about two years ago. And in my dream, I had a dream that there was a flood. And I literally saw taking buckets of water and flinging buckets of water like this. And snakes came up out the rock behind my new house and were spitting water at me. And I took this as some sort of omen. So we move into our house and the very first Monday night that we're in our house, we have a flood. But it wasn't like a bad, it was a bad flood, but it happened from the water filter. The plumber had disconnected it incorrectly and connected it incorrectly, I should say. And the whole house filled up with filtered water. Not the worst thing, although not, not great. Okay, so we go through this whole process of like getting the entire house dried, emission, whatever, let it go. Exactly six weeks later, we're sitting on the couch. Massive storm, middle of winter, the coldest day of the winter so far. It was like seven degrees. Huge rainstorm. And lo and behold, this rock wall behind my house. I live kind of against the mountain So it, it just starts spewing water like a river. And the whole back of my house fills up with water, like deep, deep, deep river water now. Non, no end to it. And there was nothing we could do. But this water covered went, came through every door flooded my entire, every square centimetre of a house downstairs. And there we were, quite literally, with buckets, like I had seen. Because when the first flood happened, I thought, oh, you see, it was nonsense, that dream. There we were with buckets, tossing the water, tossing the water, and at that point, I mean, now I was like a bit freaked out, okay? No. Two floods in six weeks. Even the insurance company was like, that has never no. happened statistically ever. Um, two floods in six weeks, all these dreams about the water element. At the same time, I'd actually been stung by a scorpion in the middle of all of this, which is scorpions also very much around the, the, water, the water element. And I just couldn't quite, I knew that there was a message but I, I couldn't kind of put it together. Now this is over months, and doing a lot of meditation and a lot of looking and seeing, I finally started to realize that what it was is archetypally the water element, deep deep water, represents the collective unconscious, and this 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 pain and anguish I'd been picking up in the environment and all the tears that I had been shedding was because of there was this huge like ocean. pain that I could feel that was sitting there and I was resisting it and not wanting to let it into my life and hence the floods you know what is not going to hold back it's going to come and by recognizing that and working with that and sitting with it and allowing the pain allowing the tears to come instead of thinking what's wrong with me why am I depressed you know I'm bad for crying just allow the tears allow myself to truly feel the pain It was something magical happens. It transformed. And I just had a glimpse of what the enlightened quality of water is, is mirror-like wisdom. So instead of that vast water representing pain and anguish, it actually was showing me everything in the world reflected in it. But mirrors, you don't have to take on what's in the mirror. It's just merely an observation. And it was just this momentary gift of recognizing that enlightened aspect of the water element that was given to me. And ever since then, I mean, I still obviously feel very, very deeply. I still allow myself to cry when needed, but I don't have this anguished relationship to it. And so that's a very strange story, but that's how we, over years and years and years and years, can work with the energy of the elements and how we allow them to change us. It's an alchemy that, that happens. So we'll end on that today. And we can go more into the details in the, few, in the coming few weeks. Thank you. Thanks, Lillian. Thank pleasure. <laughs> Thank <you. laughs> another episode of the wisdom toolbox podcast i hope you enjoyed it or found something beneficial within the episode to aid you on your journey i would love to hear from you please follow along on social media and visit the WisdomToolbox.com website for more resources and sign up for our monthly newsletter and offering thanks for stopping by